Hey, great day, everybody. So in today's podcast episode, I have something very special for you. Over the next few weeks, I will be um, celebrating my 11th year in private practice starting July of 2023. So what I decided to do is bring back the lessons learned, but I have a twist on it. Last year, I did a whole series on 10 lessons learned going into 10 years of private practice, specifically about private practice. So what I'm going to do is actually go over some of the things that I've learned while on my way to my first million, because I know that therapists want to break past the six-figure mark, the $100,000 mark. Some therapists are opening up a group practice. Some are even going into the digital product space, doing the whole one-to-many, hosting live events. And so I want to make sure to carve out time just to have conversations with entrepreneurs, business owners who want more, who no longer want to play small. And also you don't want to have a 10-year journey as I'm going to talk about in this series. So I'm going to talk about some things that I wish I would have maybe made a power move on. I'm going to talk about how long it may have taken me to do certain things and why I chose it at the time. And you'll start to potentially resonate with some places that I've been in terms of investing in myself and what that looked like or did not look like. And most importantly, how you can bet all on you and not worry about the how. So enjoy the series. Hey, my name is Dr. TK, and on this podcast show, we will uncover abundant tools to help you become the CEO of your business and life. I am a mom and wife who took the knowledge as a clinical psychologist working for a government agency and being a professor for over 18 years into building a multi six-figure mental health business and seven-figure digital product business and doing what I love. Now, I believe that you can make a wildly abundant living and become unapologetic while also dreaming big, enjoying life, and making a huge impact in your community. This is the Therapist Deserve Abundance Podcast. Hey, great day, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. So in today's episode, I am still sharing some lessons learned on my journey in a mental health business and also a coaching business to a million dollars. And so what I thought that I would share today is what incorporating my mental health business taught me for the coaching side of my business. And so I want to take some time out to do some contextual background stuff first and let you know pretty much what's been happening behind closed doors over the last decade of my business. So as a disclaimer, I am not a CPA. I'm not a financial fiduciary, not a financial or tax advisor. I'm just literally sharing my personal and business experience while building two different entity structures. Okay. So I want to take you all the way back to even when I was in grad school, actually, I was going to start from post-grad, but let's start pre-grad. When I first start realizing that I wanted to own my own business as a private practice feature owner, when I was in grad school, I thought that I would start before I'm ready. That's what they tell you. So when I, I believe I was probably in my third year or something like that, me and my friend, Dr. Roche, um, she's a support coach in our Dope Therapist Academy program and pretty much all of our programs and live events where she comes and talks to our students about things like cash flow, how to utilize index insurance policies to not just provide some, you know, a safety net for your family if something were to happen to you, but also it can provide other perks as well as like savings, for example. So the reason I'm bringing her up is that we were doing a lot of collaboration work just by default because we were at the same practicum sites at a high school in Richmond, California. And we would host after school programs with girls. 
to this day, we still have the same energy. I'm more of the organizer. She's more of the energetic flow, but then we bounce off of each other. And she had told me, you know, one day, wouldn't it be cool if we just, you know, put together a business X, Y, and Z. And I, she always tells this joke in front of all my clients, like, yo, don't tell TK nothing because she will go and have a whole website, uh, flyers for you, business cards for you, a phone number, email address all by tomorrow. So like, be very careful about what you tell her. And to today, like I still am that way, but that just speaks to my execution, you know, mindset. So with that said, I started playing around with the idea of creating a W-9, a DBA doing business as with the county that we were going to register the company in. But of course, she didn't even know we were registering the company until I told her to sign a paper. So we end up W-9ing a company to do things with this after school program because we already knew back then we were going to do tours together and all these things. So then that led into... You know, there was some stagnation. We were also not going in different directions in terms of our career, but in internship sites, right? And typically when you work with somebody and you see somebody almost every day and you see them at school, you can get a lot more done versus when you're separated and you're trying to accumulate like internship hours. Plus, we also both have part-time jobs somewhere else. I think she had worked at a group home at that time. I worked at Best Buy Geek Squad for like, you know, two and a half years. And then I also worked in Best Buy, like just general customer service cashier and just worked my way up into semi-management in the Geek Squad department. So with that said, I then spent off of my dissertation topic and just also give you some more context. When I was up north, I lived there for three years. I accepted a pre-doctoral internship with LA County Department of Mental Health. And that's also the same department and company that I worked for post-grad, but it was a little after the market crash. So it took me about six months to find a job at that time. But I went back home to LA, lived there for about a year and like a couple of months. You know, the situation happened where it was very difficult to find work at that time because no one wanted to hire at that time due to the market crashing significantly. And it crashed the year that I graduated. I graduated in 2009. I believe the crash happened in 2008, but it lasted for four years because I bought my first home at the tail end of this crash. So anyways, I then decided, you know what, I'm going to listen to my professors and I am not going to allow my dissertation to collect dust. And so it all started with um, one of my practicum sites asking me at the last minute, can I do a workshop for them? And I said, of course, I didn't live out there. I flew up there, hung out with, you know, Roche, stayed at her house. And I did a two hour workshop. They paid me for it. It was my first time getting paid to do a workshop on my dissertation. And that is what I then turned into a business. So I started doing a, an array of different trainings and I did the whole DBA. Okay. So that's the extent to my knowledge in terms of doing business type stuff. I very much was just self-motivated and self-taught. Okay. And so Moving forward, move back down to LA, start working. Um, I opened up my private practice in 2012. And then I moved quite quickly and shifted into a group practice by default. This is why I teach what I teach and how I teach it and why I make running jokes about don't roll out of bed and just open up a business. Because if you do that, it's going to take you, it doesn't mean you're not going to be successful, but your journey will be a lot more complex and longer, right? And my goal is to prolong the journey so that your business is not closed, nor do you get tired or burnt out. So what I end up doing is when I started my private practice, I was just operating under like just straight up W-9, not even a DBA, just Takesha Jackson, right? And I did the private practice for probably around six months. And then it started with one of the girls that I actually carpooled with. She said, hey, you know, 
Can you tell me a little bit more about what you do on the weekends, which are private practice or on Fridays when we're off? Because at the time I was working in the juvenile camp, which is about a two hour drive with traffic in L.A., to and from. So four hours in total with travel time, long days, 10 hour shifts. But she was like, Hey, I want to earn extra money too. And I really just want to see if private practice is a thing that I want to do because not everybody is made to be their own boss. So, you know, when somebody again intrigues me, I'm like, well, just try it. You know, I'm an experimenter by heart. I talk about that in a previous episode related to human design. So I told her, let's try it out. But first, let's talk. Let's go to lunch or something. Or we can talk on a drive to work. Like, who do you want to work with? And she was like, you know, I just prefer to work with the same type of kids that we do here, which is what I was doing as well. But, you know, of course, they are not in the system, but they're getting in trouble. I'm like, all right, bet. I know how to, you know, market that and market her because I work with the same clientele. And what we did have going for us, let me just say this, is that she also worked in the juvenile facility and these parents that were bringing their kids in for like oppositional defiant disorder, just disruptive disorder, ADHD, or underlining depression and trauma is that working at the jail gave like a street credibility because also we were able to, when the time was right, to share with these kids what they don't want, right? What working in the jail so much. And so She started interning for me. We did all the paperwork and everything, got her registered, got her MFT. Well, she had an MFT um, I number. It was an MFTA back then. And the difference between the Board of Behavioral Sciences and the Board of Psychology is that we have to get a registration number through the Board of Psychology for every single site, meaning we have to wait to get approved for a number, um, an intern number before we can work for like another site versus Board of Behavioral Sciences. As long as the paperwork is in order with the supervisor agreement or supervision agreement, they can start anytime. So it was a lot easier for me to onboard clinicians who were through Board of Behavioral Sciences. And over time, I ended up hiring psych interns and all that stuff, pre-doc and post-doc. So I hired her and then we started getting a flood of referrals also for adults and neither one of us can see adults, even though we saw a few, maybe just the parents. So she said, I have a friend, she's looking for part-time work. She works in a methadone clinic and she actually, it was her, I think it was her friend. Yeah. And she had said that she really wants to work with moderate to higher functioning people, not just the people who go to the methadone clinic. So we interviewed her. It was a very good match. Her personality meshed well with ours, very super organized, on point with paperwork. Like I had my core values back then, even though I didn't know what core values were. So uh, moving forward, they both worked for me. Well, the, the second one worked for me for about a year and a half. And then she ended up leaving the methadone clinic or maybe she got a promotion, I think. And so she didn't have the capacity anymore. But the first person, she ended up being with me almost the whole time right before maternity leave where she actually just would start subletting for me. And, you know, I taught her how to open up her private practice. So that's why I say like I've been doing coaching without knowing I was doing coaching for a long time just by either honestly doing it at a bartering process where kind of like I call it a beta launch, people would give me feedback, tell me what they liked, what could be improved. And then of course they would spread the word. And that's how I received clients without having to promote on social media or Facebook ads at the time. And I was just doing like one-on-one meetups, whether it's like one time on the phone, on Zoom, or let's meet in person or something. So um, that explains like the historical context and me starting off my private practice with a W9, just my name. So as I hired the second person, I talked to a tax person and they, all my people worked in the same office because that's the beauty part about having a virtual office space. Even though we rented our space full time is that there's plenty of different lawyers and different professions that you can collaborate with. So they had encouraged me to 
talk to someone about getting incorporated. Now, again, at the time, I didn't know what a corporation was. I didn't know that there was a different type of S-Corp versus C-Corp. The only thing I knew by doing my research through the Board of Psychology was that I was supposed to have a corporation and it could not be a LLC because of the Board of Psychology and their stipulations. So I'm like, I either have to be a W-9, which has a higher tax liability, of course, if you're making money. And then if I make more money, I need to incorporate. And so I chose to have a friend that I know, a family friend, incorporate me, and they got the paperwork done quite swiftly. They had a friend who I guess was in Sacramento or a contact where they can walk in my paperwork. Therefore, it can be processed fairly quickly. And then after about a year of doing that, I started getting some notifications in the mail from the IRS, and I didn't understand what it was. So there were two different types of corporations, uh, paperwork. One set of paperwork was saying something like, are you a medical agency? And even though mental health is under medical, that's not the way we were taught technically. It's just now starting to be recognized after 2020. Like, yo, we are in the medical field, you know, even though we may not work in a hospital. And so I didn't understand the paperwork. And this is where I really am going to start inserting lessons learned early before I like go through some straight up bullet points is I learned looking back hindsight that if I don't understand something, which is called ignorance, just ask a question versus acting like I do know, or just ignoring it altogether. And I chose the latter. I was like noticing that it was something that didn't say I owed money. So I just was like, I don't know what they're talking about. (laughs) So I just like ignored it for like a year and a half. So this is where things took a turn. I was on insurance panels, a lot of them. I was hiring, I hired those two therapists. I had also invested in a HR department. I think I did ADP. I had paid like, I thought that I was paying $1,500 for a one-time fee where they would onboard me, do my employee handbook for the group practice and all these things. It was a beautiful turnout, but I didn't realize that I was on a $500 monthly retainer. And I'm like, now, wait a minute. So again, another lesson is read what you're signing up for, right? But when we're excited and we just want to get things done and we don't understand the other side, We just do it, right? So I did that and um, I end up canceling the agreement with ADP because I'm like, I don't need y'all like every month. Like some of the stuff that they were sharing with us, it would be appropriate if I were like a bigger agency or I had like eight therapists like I had down the line, but it wasn't to me needed for beyond what they had already provided. You know, they had just given us like what we needed to be legal, you know? So from there, you have a tax ID when you do a DBA, or you should. And you also have a tax ID, which is a different tax ID when you corporate. So another lesson learned is you want to know the difference or have someone explain it to you or go read a book or watch a video, the difference between S Corp and C Corp. Now, Board of Psychology, I later on found that I was supposed to be an S Corp. I didn't understand what paperwork needed to be filed to do what's called a S Corp election. I now know this like the back of my hand, meaning I know what to do, but I don't clearly like know the ins and outs of this stuff, right? That's why I hired somebody to do that. But I realized that I needed an S Corp. Now, I didn't realize that until I started getting the second batch of paperwork saying X, Y, and Z. And I took it to another lawyer like in our offices. And he told me, oh, I have somebody that can do it for you. It looks like you've been doing a C-Corp this whole time. And I'm like, what does that mean? And he was like, oh, pretty much you've been getting double taxed. And actually I missed this part. In the midst of this, I had also hired a brand new CPA. And I'll tell you why in a moment. And the CPA is the one that caught it first. She referred me to the lawyer down the hall and the lawyer helped me do the paperwork. He did it for free. And I just gave him like a gift card. I didn't ask for it to be free, but he was like, I'll do it for you for free. Like you do good work around here and stuff. And so in the middle of this, As I was mentioning earlier, I was on insurance panels and 
as you recall, I have a different tax ID for Takesha Jackson than I have for the corporation for my group practice. So what ended up happening with the insurance panels is slowly but surely on their own timeline, they would eventually have to pretty much like some of them would actually keep it and some of them would terminate it, like terminate my Takesha Jackson contract with them as an individual provider and move me over to a group. Some panels allowed you to have both because maybe you go work somewhere else on your own. And then some of them would not, you know? So needless to say, like, let's just say if I'm on 10 panels, right? It was a lot. <laughs> if I'm like 10 panels, one of them took six months to switch over me from an individual to a group, which meant that if I had clinicians who could bill and were licensed under that insurance, they would have to wait six months. This is why, again, when you're growing a group practice and you're not doing cash pay, you have to tell the people that you're hiring that it's going to take time, right? I also would encourage you to understand who is your contact person, because if you get to know maybe somebody who you can be in communications with, they can maybe expedite your process, but it doesn't mean that it's not going to take 180 days, right? And that doesn't count like you not knowing what you're doing. So a lot of these panels were accepting me on the group practice side on a different timeline, if that makes sense. Hey, y'all, it's that time again. It is scale season. So I want to call out all of the therapists, healers, and service providers across the country. I am hosting our end of the year two-day in-person conference this fall, October 2023 in Las Vegas. So we are talking about all things scalability, things like launching a new or existing product or service line, collaborating with other providers across the country to increase your reach. We will also be covering how to create your content that aligns with your launch throughout the entire year of 2024. We will also provide you with a seven streams of income map so that you can develop your business over time with growth and scalability. And did I mention that this is the only event that we are having for the fourth quarter in person. So we will be discussing all things for 2024 business planning, growth and scalability, wealth management, and so much more. So if you want to attend, go ahead and grab your seat before the time is up. Head down to the show notes or go to our website, drtk.com forward slash links and grab your ticket to the Therapist Deserve Abundance Conference. All right, y'all, it's scale season. Let's get back to today's podcast episode. So what ends up happening was, let's just say if one insurance panel, let's call it insurance panel A, if they incorporated me as a group yesterday, As soon as I start getting checks in the mail, I'm going to start billing for that EIN. But in the midst of it, this may sound a little confusing, so just roll with me. In the midst of it, last week, I was just sending in claims for Takesha Jackson. But now I'm submitting claims for Corporation A, if that makes sense. Two different tax IDs. So what I started doing when they would approve me to be on their panel, no matter if they paid out Takesha or they paid out the corporation, just to make it clean, there's no right or wrong answer. Talk to your tax person again. I just, I didn't consult with nobody, mistake. <laughs> I just start putting all the money, all the checks into the corporation account because eventually I would no longer have like any money going into Takesha Jackson, right? Now, what I should have done is taken track of this, which technically we have a, a W-9 at the end of the year, but I should have just been talking to a CPA during this whole time about these transactions. Speed things up, six to nine months, certain insurance panels are onboarding me as a group and like pausing or terminating me as an individual. I thought everything was gravy. 
I thought that I was doing the right thing by depositing all the money into the group practice account because that's where I have to run payroll out of, right? That makes sense. But remember, I have two tax IDs. So what happened at the end of the year is that the IRS got confused. And at the time I was working with a, a regular tax person. She was good, but she was just like a regular tax person. So she submitted my taxes. And then like four months later, five months later, I started getting these notices saying, it looks like you claimed, I'm just gonna throw out a number. It looks like you claimed $50,000, but from our records, it shows you made $78,000, right? So what it looked like to them in so many words is that I collected a certain pot of money, but I only claimed a certain amount of money on my taxes. What they did not realize was that when they're looking at the W-9s that come in from the insurance panels, depending on who's looking at it, what their desk looks like, I don't know, they may not realize that insurance company A sent me both a W-9 for Takesha Jackson and for the corporation. And because they didn't have a narrative behind me compiling the money into one bank account, they thought I was hiding money. Do y'all know that this issue did not get cleared until four to five years later? And even then we had to do it twice because when one department closes it, they don't necessarily close it across all departments. So we started getting letters in the mail like a year and a half later. But basically they were saying that I owed all this tax money because they were looking at the money that they thought I collected under the corporation as a whole, not separating it as W-9 entity structure to Keisha Jackson versus the corporation. So I hope that that makes sense. In two tax IDs, insurance panels start onboarding me slowly. As they went onboarding me, I just started dumping all the money into one bank account. But when it came down to tax season, somehow things got misconstrued. So that led to the tax person really not knowing how to guide me. And she said, you know what? I just want you to go see it. Find a CPA in here. So I went to the front desk and I said, give me a CPA, a good one. You know, somebody who is not too, too high, but like I'll invest. And that's how I found the CPA I worked with for like uh, four years. I worked with her until the middle of the pandemic. And then my business outpaced her capacity. So we couldn't do it anymore. And like, you know, a lot of stuff happening in 2020. So What ended up happening was she was like, wow, this could have just been fixed with a letter to the IRS, meaning if we would have just given them a narrative to why you're getting W-9s from these two agencies for every single insurance panel at this point, but in terms of cash collected, why the numbers are off is simply because at one point in the year, you just start shifting all the money to one bank account, right? So that one letter caused me four to five years of like heartache because, you know, I'm still paying her. Also, because I didn't want to do it to sit on hold and talk to the IRS people, you know, all the time. Okay, so these are some of the additional lessons that I learned in terms of what incorporating my mental health business taught me so that I can incorporate it now into my current coaching business and still in my mental health business. So um, I know I gave you all some bonuses, but number one is file your corporation correctly. If your genius zone is not filing paperwork and you're trying to do it yourself to save money, you're actually wasting money by wasting your time, right? Also know based off your board, which election you have to have. The Board of Psychology in California, you have to have an escort. 
Okay. Um, number two lesson is I'm not the expert at taxes. So why am I trying to show up and do it? Well, am I trying to save money again? I'm wasting time and I'm wasting money because I could be doing other things to bring in more revenue while a tax person for a couple of hours a month can do all of these fancy reports. Tell me what to do, you know, behind closed doors so that I can increase my revenue, what I can cut, what I can add and all the things. Right. So I'm not the expert. So if you're not the expert, in numbers, also in bookkeeping, I'm gonna throw that in there, delegate it out, okay? Um, number three is recognizing if you have to get a professional corporation. That's something that, again, I had to have that lawyer guy do for me with his friend in Sacramento, like a, a second person. And he was able to help me out tremendously where it was filed like in the next month. Um, and number four is be okay with asking questions that you don't know. So at the time of this recording, I actually just wrapped up a DTA call and we were talking about delegation and a very good question came up by one of our students, Franny, give her a shout out. And um, we were talking about like, how do you, and another student asked us, it was a few questions, but like, how do you choose the best money person, right? And I can't answer that question because it's only based off my experience, but I shared with them. So I'll share with you today. And for those of you who maybe are in the DTA community, but you um, have not watched the replay or whatnot, what I share with them is like not in detail the experience that I share today, but just the lessons learned over the four money people that I've had. So I'm going to give you a recap. Actually, it was five. The first money person was myself. I would do my own TurboTax, but at the time I did not own a home. I was renting apartments. I was in grad school and all I had was my uh, side hustle money from like Geek Squad or something plus some extra like cash. Once I purchased my home in 2012, I no longer did my taxes. And that's when I hired the first tax person that I was referencing that was also located in my office space. So she did my taxes for, I think, two to three years, for the first two years of my group practice, and then that mishap happened. Then she recommended that I go actually find a CPA because I need to understand more things just about my numbers, tax liability, because her job was just to do my taxes at the end of the year. And she did offer bookkeeping. But again, at the time, I knew I self-taught myself how to do QuickBooks at the basic level, but I never owned that I was the expert. It was just I wanted to understand my cash flow. And if I did uh, send it off to someone, I want to know that what I'm looking at is accurate. So I'm not saying that that's your story. I'm a person that I like data. I like numbers. I like spreadsheets. If you've ever taken the rocket fuel test, integrator versus visionary, my scores are three points apart from each other. I scored 73 on visionary and 70 on integrator. And I always like tell people this is why my business lasted so long without help is because I'm really good at data. I'm really good at spreadsheets. I'm really good with organization. That's why I was the quality assurance person in a lot of my jobs. I'm a program developer. I just have that creative side to me along with the implementation and teaching, right? But you have to know what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses, okay? So when I went to that CPA, that CPA was also a lawyer. So she was able to help me like fix some of the escort paperwork beyond what that other lawyer had helped me do like on the side. And now I'm currently with another CPA, but again, I had to insert like a, well, that's a six person, a team where Due to my core values, it did not align and I broke my retainer agreement just because they kept passing me on to different people on the team. And then when they would pass me on for another meeting during my onboarding process, this was in 2020, the current person didn't know what the last person did with me, which means that kind of like therapy, they're not reading their notes. 
And that irritated me because my time is worthy and I don't want to have to repeat myself for 90 minutes over and over again. Just send me the form, you know? So again, in total, I did taxes on my own, learned QuickBooks, but initially I was doing it on Excel sheets because I didn't have that many transactions with clients part-time and private practice. Then that led to me hiring the tax person. Then tax person led me to the CPA. Then the CPA outpaced her in 2020, tried to find a CPA firm. That didn't work out. And now I'm currently with my CPA that I've had, it'll be a year, October of 2023. Now, some of the things that I share with our students that I'll share with you that I learned over time that I wanted, and I did not know the fancy words for it, but when he asked like, what do you, or people ask like, what are you looking for in a CPA? Cause they have different packages, right? And if you're in our program, just write these down. Some of the things that I told him I was looking for is something called forecasting, AKA being able to predict your revenue based on your patterns of revenue, considering also that you have the potential to grow. So he asked me for my last two years of taxes and we were only in the beginning focused on my coaching business, even though he asked for taxes for a personal Dr. TK, that's a whole nother story, but that's also incorporated. That'll be on another podcast episode and also branding for abundance. So branding for abundance is the coaching business. Dr. TK is the mental health business. So what ended up happening is when he looked at it, he was able to run some reports, his his genius zone, and he was able to tell me like based on your track record, this is what you we anticipate you're going to grow with. He also gave me, I said, also want to like lower my tax liability, meaning I don't want to pay as much taxes. I understand I may have to pay some, but I want to be able to over time, give myself a raise. I just told him my goals. I want to take certain team members full time. I want to hire new team members eventually. It's just like a lot of things that I want to do. And I know these things will take time, but how do I create the foundation for those things now and just take one thing at a time? So the first thing he looked at was, what are my patterns of growth? And then what is my goal? So let's just say if we cash collected 600 plus dollars in 2022, I've been quantum leaping every single year. So I may say, okay, you know, the first year we did like almost 200,000 cash collected. No, wait, I'm sorry. It was only, so the first year in my coaching business, it was 27,000. That was in 2019. In 2020, y'all, it jumped to cash collected from the coaching business. I believe it was like two something, but then combined with Dr. TK, which was over six figures. Plus if we count like payment plans that were coming in, we increased our revenue still percentage-wise cash collected 436% or 438%. It was something like crazy. And then the following year, I was able to predict that I would bring in $200,000 from people who had payment plans. It was like bananas because we did a lot of launches in the third and fourth quarter, which means that people's payment plans would spill over to the next year, right? So I knew that every year I can probably anticipate maybe not 400% increase, but I know that I can at least anticipate like 100 to 200, right? So we went from like, the, you know, we just kept increasing. So I said, you know, what if I wanted to double it? And he was like, well, let's figure out what your lowest like growth goal would be. And then we can quantum leap that. So we worked out some numbers. He told me what my number was. And then I said, okay, so my goal is bare minimum that number. But of course I want more than that, you know, because I also have beyond business goals. I have personal goals, you know? So Those are the things that I look for is really if we want to put an umbrella term to this is somebody who's invested in my vision and won't count out my big dreams. But it doesn't mean that they cannot recalibrate break your dreams. But maybe how I told our students today, you can have two different levels. So you can have one level that makes sense based off statistical data from your patterns. Because remember, if you're not showing up and doing the things 
to make more money in your business. Like right now, what makes you think that all of a sudden January 1st, you're going to become a new person? It's all about the journey. It's all about the becoming process. And that's one of the areas that we hyper-focus on the last day of our boot camps for the academy is how are you showing up as the best version of you? How are you showing up as an abundant CEO? You will not just become that person overnight, just like a kid doesn't just come out the womb and start walking, right? It's a process. And so I hope that by sharing this information, even about a not fun and attractive topic about incorporating my mental health business, um, I hope that it's helped you see the journey that I've been through and also how I've definitely learned from my mistakes. But more importantly, I don't want any other mental health therapist that wants a business, no matter what your stream of income is in your business. Why would you on purpose reinvent the wheel and sign up for a 10-year journey? It does not make sense. I'm going into my 11th year celebration, July of 2023 for private practice. And even though I may not talk about private practice at all, actually on my Instagram, because I've geared my avatar as mental health providers or future therapists, it doesn't mean that I'm still not a psychologist. My title there still says psychologist. However, I have now created the business that I want on the private practice side, which means that I take my business to the streets. I go out and I do one to many. I do workshops. I've collaborated with a total of three different nonprofits, actually four in the last few years. But my consistent nonprofit that I collaborate with, I've known them since I worked at you know my county job. So I've known them. It's going on like 10 years at this point. But again, do you have relationship capital? Okay, so hop over to Instagram, snapshot this podcast episode and let me know your biggest takeaway in the DMs. I love to chat with you. I love to also see who I'm talking to. If this is your first time tapping into the podcast, I want to say welcome. Um, If you're not following the podcast, make sure that you sign up just by clicking follow on the device that you're listening on. And if you could, I would be so grateful if you can leave a five-star review and let me know your biggest takeaway on this platform. And the reason I ask that almost every episode is that the more and more that you pretty much vote that you like this podcast, the platform will recognize it as a valuable podcast to push out to people like yourself because I'm reaching therapists across the globe. So I will see you in the next episode as we continue this series of my 11 years in business on the journey to my first million and what I've learned. I'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Listen, I am over here dancing. You just finished another epic episode of the Therapist Deserve Abundance podcast. Now I know that flew by way too fast. So if you want more, please head over to our resource page at drtk.com forward slash links for additional abundant resources. Until the next episode, live intentionally abundant.